Brought to you by Link Senior, a resident engagement platform. Because old people are cool and senior living is hashtag activity strong. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older podcast, where we interview experts on innovation in the business of aging well. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm so thrilled to be here today with Carrie Hannon, workplace futurist and best-selling author. Welcome to the program, Carrie. Oh, Nancy, great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Well, thank you. I've been following you for a long time, and I'm a big fan of your books. But So before we dig into that, tell us about your background. Well, um, I have, um, I guess from, from uh, the youngest age imaginable, I wanted to be a writer. So I knew that's what I was going to do with my life when I was very young. And um, But I had that dilemma that we all have, well, so how can I make a living doing that? And um, I, I gradually found my way to journalism. And one of the ways, and, and we have a, a, a love, both of us, of horses, one of the ways <laughs> I was able to start doing that is I would go to horse shows and I would profile professional horsemen and women and write up these profiles and sell them to horse magazines. And so this was when I was maybe 18 years old or so, 17, 18, 19. And it was fantastic because I learned how to tell people stories. And um, that kind of has been a spine that has led me through the rest of my career. As I moved from, after I graduated from college, I I worked for a variety of publications, uh, but ended up at Forbes magazine in New York and was there for a nice stint, um, traveling all over the world doing stories. But always my favorite was telling entrepreneurship stories and stories of small businesses. And then I moved from there to um, Money Magazine, where I learned about personal finance and stuff that actually I could apply to my own life, like paying, paying down credit card debt. And from there went on to U.S. News and World Report and then USA Today. And then I started my own business. So for 20 years, I ran my own sort of, I call it a media company where I wrote books. I wrote, I did um, uh, various kinds of, of writing and projects for all the people I worked for before because I never burned a bridge. And, um, you know, so it kind of rolled forward. And, and um, so now I have a lot of books under my belt. And then a year ago, I was offered, um, a recruiter found me on LinkedIn, and I was offered a position at Yahoo Finance as a senior columnist, where this is like the biggest platform for personal finance in the world. There are 800 million users of this platform. And so it's been so exciting, Nancy, because I've been able to get my message out. Sort of my mission is to uh, help people touch their lives and improve their lives in some way, whether it's finding a job they love or getting control of their finances so they can have a you know a secure financial future. And so this platform has given me a wonderful opportunity to do that. In addition, um, I'm having this experience of working with an editor who's decades younger than me. And so that intergenerational energy that has come from working with someone who's younger, who has a fresh vision and respects me. So, you know, I'm in a really fun place right now. I'm still doing speaking and, and all that other good stuff. But the spine of my my career has really been you know, helping people find work they love and that's meaningful and also that that pays uh, a reasonable amount of money so that you can accomplish some of those dreams and, and have a, you know, with longevity, have a secure financial future. 
Well, and both your personal experience and your research um, contributes to all that you give to your readership. So you've authored more than a dozen books. So um, tell us about some of your books and then your latest book, Control at 50 Plus, How to Succeed in the New World of Work. Oh, thanks for asking. Well, I absolutely love all of my books are like my babies, but I've written books on, you know, uh, retirement for women, the 10 minute guide to retirement for women. I've written books for women who are suddenly single, divorced or widowed. So I have a real passion for women and money topics. I've also written about how to love your job and um, great jobs for everyone over 50. And um how to find the job you want after 50 and all those kinds of things. Two of my very favorite books, though, were uh, What's Next? Follow Your Passion and Find Your Dream Job. And for that book, Nancy, I was U.S. News and World Report actually paid for three and a half years for me to travel around the country and meet people who had made significant career changes, who had done something for 20 or 30 years and shifted to something completely different. Now, this was at a time, Nancy, when nobody was doing this. No one had kind of glommed on to this idea that boomers were going to want to do second acts, right? So this was a whole new arena that, you know, I was the first one. I started a column at U.S. News called Second Acts and based off of these people that I met. And I must tell you, I was. I, it's not that I wanted to do the work that they were necessarily doing, but I certainly was so inspired. I wanted to be like them and to have that sort of moxie and risk aversion to go off and just try new things at this age. Um, so that was one of my very favorite books. And those people stories really clung to me. And my second book that I that is what I kind of hold in my pocket is one I really love is never too old to get rich. And it sounds kind of, you know, tongue in cheek, but it's all about midlife entrepreneurship. And again, it's telling people stories because I think we learn from the winners. We learn from people who succeed. And so each chapter, I have a certain individual I, or sometimes it's an intergenerational startup and I tell their story and ask for their advice, but then I have great takeaway and nuts and bolts. And, and the point about uh, the richness, never too old to get rich. It's really a play on the idea about finding richness in the work you do and finding value in what you're doing. And so it's not necessarily dollar, dollar, dollars richness, but it's inner richness. And so that's been, that's a real uh, book that I, I point to and I send people to because uh, even today there's, it's all very practical advice, but inspirational. And the book that I have out right now is called, as you mentioned, In Control at 50 Plus. And what I did in this book is I really took a look down at what were the major trends emerging from the pandemic. You know, we the workplace was so profoundly changed uh, during the pandemic, and particularly for workers in this cohort over 50. There were, you know, people were laid off. They... They lost jobs. They all kinds of things went on. They took early retirements. Um, but but more than that, it was a psychological as well as a financial shift for many people. And so I identified the five major trends and and sort of discussed the trends and then say, hey, guess what? This is how you can take control of this new change, this opportunities that are out there to really do work you love because it's your time and it's who do you want to work for? What kind of work do you want to do? And how can you take advantage of these trends that have emerged? 
And I will say, Nancy, these what these trends, there are five of them that I identify. It's not that they started in the pandemic. They had been kind of bubbling up prior to it, but they just shot forward and really took off because of the circumstances. Well, Carrie, I can see why you resonate so much with me. Um, I lost all my work um, March 2020, uh, being a, a consultant in wellness and spa. All the all the spas closed, as you know, and so did my mm-hmm. uh, skincare clients and and the rest of it. So I segued towards um, learning about senior living and the business of aging well. So I, I really um, I thank you for for all that you're doing and for validating what I'm doing at 57. <laughs> Yeah, well, Nancy, it's so perfect. You're the perfect example because, you know, if you remember, it was it was a really scary time. I mean, it's almost like some of us had put it in the rearview mirror at this point, like, I don't really want to look back. But if you think about it, it was really scary. No one knew what was really going on. We were losing people. We loved to COVID. I certainly did. And again, we were losing uh, fun, our, our employment opportunities, many of us. Um, and And it gave us an opportunity to really do that inner MRI, that inner searching about, okay, so what really is important to me? What what do I really want to be doing right now? And it, it, it had an opportunity, we had this breathing space to kind of let it sit with it for a while and really think about what would make a difference in our lives and hopefully in others' lives in the next chapter. And so you know, if you look at it through that lens, it was a very powerful period of time and also um, one that that there was a great deal of opportunity. And so the idea that we could, you know, that one of the big trends coming out of it, of course, is entrepreneurship for, for people over 50 and career transition, because this was a time for, hey, you know what, I've always wanted to do that why not give it a chance? I mean, let me try that out. And even if we were starting that kind of as side gigs and exploring or doing research on the side while we were, you know, at home working or at home just in lockdown, so to speak, um, we had a chance to. And the other thing that was coming up was all this, you know, virtual education. There are so many wonderful ways that kind of uh, kept growing stronger and stronger that we could add skills and and try some things out from the comfort of our own homes without having to get a big decree program necessarily, but just dip a toe in a bit. That's so true, Carrie. When I started this podcast, I really looked at it as an MBA um, in the business of aging well, that I could just reach out to the top people in every space and interview them and, and learn and grow as I went. So you're right on with that. So Tell us about your role as a workplace futurist. So, yeah, I, I absolutely love that term, right? <laughs> it's, so much, it's better than being a thought leader or any of those other sort of highfalutin things. You know, what it really is, is in particularly coming out of my research on the latest book, um, I spend so much time thinking about where we'd come from in the workplace, where we were, and what was likely to come as we move down the road. And and I have a good friend named Bradley Sherman who does, he wrote a book called The Super Age and he, he's absolutely tremendous. And he he and I would talk a lot about, you know, the whole idea of, of just demographic change in the world and some of the major sort of societal changes. And I thought, you know, how do we place, you know, the work that we do into this virtual, this changing world that was changing so dramatically within, you know, a 
aging population globally and um, the need for employers to really address these big issues of ageism in the workplace, which is not only in the workplace, it's certainly in our entire culture, but because the very by the very nature of the changing population and the aging population, there is a tremendous need for them to keep workers on the job longer. And so how do we find the workplace changing to accommodate that? For, so it's a win for both sides, for workers who are getting older, but with longevity. Now, certainly COVID played with numbers a bit here, but the truth is uh, this generation, the boomers and Gen X and so on down the line, are going to have longer lifespans than any generations that have come before us. And so the very thought of, uh, quote, retiring, which is a word I think both you and I don't care for too much, uh, retiring in the, in your 60s, when you presumably have three decades ahead of you to finance, it seems almost like an absolutely insane idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and it's not saying you have to go pedal to the metal from 65 on, but certainly if you're healthy and you're mentally sharp, why the heck not? And if you can, the more years you can earn, in some respect, you build out a financial future that's going to be a lot more secure and also give you options. When you're financially fit, you can be nimble. You can say yes to invitations that if it was all about a paycheck, you wouldn't be able to do. And so it makes the world really open up to you if you can do this and have the discipline to figure it out. And, you know, Nancy, to your point too, also when we talk about changes as you made in your late 50s is you often need to it, maybe not wait for the crisis of the pandemic to make that change. I encourage people as a workplace futurist to think about where do you see yourself down the road? What are some things you might like to be doing? And and have some fun uh, imagining what the world, because technology, everything is rapidly changing. There are jobs that are being created today that never were here before, right? So the opportunities, but thinking, and so you start planning at, in your 50s what you might want to do in your 60s and you start, you know, weeding, you know, wading into that territory a little bit, taking a class maybe or doing some informational interviews, some job shadowing, whatever it might be, but kind of getting that learning mindset on. That's so true. And I know that as your um, role as workplace futurist, you testified before the Senate Special Committee on Aging at its hearing um, on work and retirement, career reinventions, and the new retirement workspace. So can you share yeah. some of those key points, Carrie? First of all, it was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really was. I live in Washington, D.C., and the opportunity to be up on Capitol Hill and testifying before this, you know, committee and in this very, you know, uh, prestigious room. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't, I wasn't the least bit nervous. I was so excited <laughs> to be there that it was just that you had to keep your remarks to a certain length. And I thought, how can I possibly do that? But um, that was my biggest challenge. But I remember... Um, you know, after, you know, they're asking me questions after my presentation and, um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, Elizabeth Warren actually just asked me a question. And, uh, you know, so it's just, you know, kind of exciting to have these senators asking me questions. But, um, my big, uh, message to them was, listen, um, there is this elder poverty crisis that's down the road. Uh, if in fact people don't, uh, 
continue to work as long as they possibly can uh, and have employers have accommodations for that. Uh, and also to find uh, kind of pathways uh, on ramps for people to be able to do that. I mean, this is something that uh, the United States has done a great job with through the Department of Labor with these job centers around the country, but they're very much geared to a younger worker. And what, you know, what I was encouraging them to do is how can we find ways to put um, tools and resources in these centers that are really geared to an older worker who's looking to reskill or listen or to add new skills who maybe has never done, hasn't done a resume in 20 years, but could use a career coach to help them. And this is a free resource, right? So this is something, yeah, we can all do this on our own and pay for it. But this is something that the government has these centers in place. So I was encouraging how can we find funding to really um, make them viable as a great uh, resource for older workers so that they can stay on the job. The second piece I talked to them a lot about was I'm a huge fan of the community college system in America. And these are the backbone of education in many cities. And, and it's affordable. And if yep. what are some ways that we can link the community colleges with employers in a community and say, hey, you know, what skills do you need to the employer? I mean, be serious because they always say, oh, we can't find workers that are skilled properly. Well, what are those skills? And then have the community college pair up with them to be the be the provider of that education. And again, I don't think this takes a lot of legwork. Some of this is happening um, since I testified, not necessarily because of my, my <laughs> testimony, but it is happening. I think I got their attention that the uh, kind of critical numbers of uh, you know, people who simply ha have not saved for retirement. Uh, Nancy, I saw just in a, a story I was writing last night that the Census Department has a, some numbers out from last year that show that, you know, something like 50% of Americans over 50, men and women, do not have nothing saved for retirement. I mean, this is shocking to me because it's been drilled into my head since I was a kid, practically, that you had to save for retirement. But there are so many people that don't have anything saved. And it's not because they don't want to save. It's because, A, they don't have a retirement plan offered through their employer, which many do not. And that's a huge incentive to help people get started saving. Um, or they simply don't have the bandwidth to do so with the cost of living, with educating children, with caring for aging relatives, all of those things that kind of um, leave very little breathing room for saving. And it, so again, uh, and I said, and even when we look at women's pay, okay, I won't get on that soapbox, but when it's 82 cents still for the dollar, and what year is this? You know, I mean, yeah. Come on. Um, so for women, and especially women who step out of the workplace, at different times for child rearing, for caring for aging adults. And of course, men are doing that now too, but mostly women still. It's a huge issue because during that time, you're you're generally not saving for retirement, nor are you uh, putting yourself, teeing yourself up for promotions if you do go back to your job. And so true. And and of course, there's the broken healthcare system and that people get in such trouble with with health issues. So yeah, I mean, it, there there's a lot of things to tackle. And it seems like Carrie, one of the big things is ageism. So 
What are your thoughts on tackling that huge issue? Yeah, you know, it's it's been getting a lot of air recently, um, and it always has been lingering below the surface. Of course, it's something people, you know, generally don't talk about that much. Um, and um, because, you know, if you feel that there's age discrimination in your workplace, very few people will bring it up because you don't want to be that person. Um, and you don't want to call attention to yourself or to it. And it generally hasn't uh, been easy to prove. Um, there are some great activists in this area, Ashton Applewhite being one who wrote This Chair Rocks. Uh, she's really been out there spreading the gospel about, come on, we got to talk about it. We got to, you know, uh, you know, hold employers accountable to this issue because a lot of workers, when they reach a certain age, uh, feel like their managers or their employers see their expiration date. They don't, they're still not getting this longevity message that, that you and I were talking about. And, and in fact, I think it's it it's up to it's individual by individual. I think everybody has a responsibility as an aging adult uh, to make sure if they want to stay in the workplace that they are doing the work, that they are constantly learning, that they are not you know just uh, stuck in a moment and accepting uh, that you know this is how I've always done it and. You know, not reaching out to younger workers to learn from them, not reaching out to embrace the five generations that are in the workplace now. So I do put some of this back on the individual to not fall prey to the myth of ageism uh, because we often do it to ourselves. Uh, We often sort of uh, make self-deprecating jokes about something about the technology or something um, that you just need to not do that. Uh, some of the ageism comes from the top, and in many cases in a, in a uh, company it does, and, and it's usually that top officer, that CEO is is older, <laughs> but yeah. he says, no, <laughs> it's okay for me, but not for you, um, and the, the myths, you know, I do a lot of when I speak around the country doing that sort of busting of the myths about older workers being more expensive, or as we said, stuck in their ways, or unwilling to work with younger workers, and and um, and so on. So I think it's important uh, for us to take that responsibility to make sure we don't open the door, the window for them to uh, to have these attitudes. But again, I think we're we've got a lot of work to do. But at, with the changing demographics in the population worldwide, this it is imperative that it happens if employers who are currently right now even facing a tight job market where there's still two jobs practically for every one unemployed person and they are struggling to retain workers, for them to just shift their thinking and say, hey, guess what? I'm going to offer these training programs in my my uh my company, not just to the younger workers, because often those learning opportunities would go to a younger person. So you know, I just think it's it's a matter of let's talk about it and let's identify it when we see it. And that really helps start the conversation. And the second quick thing that happened was technology also. She said, we, we only work in Google Docs. And I said, well, that's great, but I work in Word. And that's how I've always done it, right? That's what you're not supposed to say. And she goes, oh, yeah, but you don't get it, Carrie. We work in Google Docs. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, jeepers, you know, this is going to ruin my creative process. So I <laughs> quickly I got in touch with a pal of mine, Mark Miller, uh, who actually has a wonderful book out right right now about retirement. Um, 
And uh, Mark, I knew he he writes for Reuters too. And he told me about two years ago that he had shifted to Google Docs. So I'm like, Mark, I know you love Google Docs. I need some help. He says, okay, quick, screen share. And he, we did a screen share. He gave me a tutorial. And he said, Carrie, if you have any other questions, you can get back in touch with me or why don't you Google it? <laughs> and so I... um. I never, and if she's listening to our little chat here, she'll laugh, but I never mentioned that I this was something that concerned me. I just made myself start doing it. And a year later, it's not a problem. It's perfectly seamless. <laughs> I love that. And it just goes to show that, um, you know, even someone with all your expertise and, and so connected needs to just stay up to date on some of these new technologies that, um, and just like you said, open-mindedness is is so key in this. Yeah. Um, and, and even yeah. when we talked about ageism, I remember I went up to New York and one of, there's a, one of my colleagues there, I had worked with him uh, back in my U.S. News and World Report days. So I, you know, Nancy, we're talking like 30 years ago, right? So, so I, it's like they're like how do you know him and I and I started to say oh we've been friends you know we worked 30 years ago but I'm like well that's an age I mean that will that will definitely frame it in an ageist way wouldn't it I mean not that it's a negative thing but it I'd never once had a discussion about my age with anyone nor do I think not that I think they don't know my age I'm just saying it was never part of a conversation so I quickly said oh we've known each other for a long time yeah <laughs> You know, it's subtle stuff, you know, but it's catching yourself. <laughs> so, Carrie, what gets you most excited these days? I really get excited about is entrepreneurship. I, I just absolutely love hearing stories, talking to people, counseling them, um, whatever it might be about people who have embraced um, starting a business, especially in this age cohort doing something that they've always wanted to do or that just lights them up and having this opportunity is you know it, you know I started writing these stories years ago right even when I was writing about my horse men and women these were very entrepreneurial type people I grew up in a, in a small business where my dad was super uh entrepreneurial and and I just love these stories of the the setbacks, the challenges, the rewards, the the all that goes into it. It's just like the breath of life when, and then you see that glimmer in people's eyes that, you know, they start talking about their business and you just sucked in, right? It's like, oh my goodness, you know, and they're not sugarcoating it and saying, oh, you know, I'm making a million dollars. I mean, these are often very small businesses. They're micro businesses, but they're businesses that matter. And particularly ones that sort of have a role in making a difference in the world, right? I mean, you got to love that. And um, so I think that's what gets me excited in coming out of the pandemic. That's that I have a whole section in my book about entrepreneurship. But but that is one of the major trends. It is one of the ways that people can be in control, take control, and really make work work for them right and so entrepreneurship to me is is sort of the secret sauce i love that carrie that you have been so inspiring to me today <laughs> <laughs> yay well thank you so much for all that you're doing and for joining us today well thank you so much fun you've been listening to the glowing older podcast 